2: There you are, Mr. Bartell.
4: Good evening, Doctor. Oh, no, no, don't get up. You look much too comfortable. (laughs) Take off your overcoat and come and join me. Well, I enjoyed your story of a scandal in Bohemia last week, Doctor, and tonight you promised us a sequel.
2: Yes, that's right, Mr. Bartell. A sequel that took place over 20 years afterwards, in 1909 to be exact. Sherlock Holmes was living on his Sussex bee farm. It was only in June, I remember, that I received a telegram from the great man asking me to come and spend a long weekend with him.
4: And I'm sure you needed no urging to accept the invitation.
2: (laughs) None, Mr. Bartell, none at all. I hadn't seen Holmes for some time, and this fact, combined with my rather indifferent health, found me on the Eastbourne train a few hours after receiving the telegram. A dog cart was at the station to meet me, and after a brisk drive across the Downs, I found myself once more with my good friend. He looked somewhat older than when I'd last seen him. But as he spoke to me, I realized from the keenness of his voice and the sparkle in his eye that Sherlock Holmes would never really be old. After a while, our conversation lapsed into the comfortable silence that can just, because could, kept on me, exist only between friends. And then, as the sun was setting, Holmes picked up his beloved violin and began to play some haunting melody. As he lay back... Eyes half-closed, his long, thin fingers caressing the instrument, a wave of nostalgia swept over me. I thought of the many years that that we'd spent together, and the exciting adventures that we had shared during the old days in Baker Street.
5: Beautiful, quite beautiful. Thank you, Watson. <clears throat> you look uncommonly wistful, dear chap. You thinking of the old days? Yes, Holmes. I was. So was I. Uh-huh. Oh, well. Those were exciting times, but it's comforting to think that now we will not be disturbed by a dangling doorbell followed by some poor devil in trouble. Nowadays, my greatest excitements are connected with the segregation of the Queen Bee and the nighttime proclivities of Charles Augustus, my tomcat. <laughs>
2: I still find it hard to think of you in retirement, Holmes. Do you ever consider returning to active practice?
5: Oh, I consider it occasionally and then reject the idea. And I should work only up to the peak of his ability. I'm past mine.
2: Nonsense, Holmes. You're just alert as ever you were. Mentally, perhaps, but not physically. Would, uh, would you consider handling a small problem in uh, in England?
5: With a personal problem that affects you, my dear chap, you know I'll do anything I can.
2: Well, it's not exactly
5: my problem, Holmes,
2: but there was a charming... Uh, young girl on the train we we got into conversation and
5: uh, <laughs> you don't age it in a real chap you're just as susceptible as no, ever
2: no 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 let me finish she said that you knew her mother quite well her mother
1: come in oh yes divas what is it i'm sorry to disturb you mr holmes your man said i might come in uh, my master mr Lytton stanley instructed me to deliver this note oh thank you he uh, also instructed me to wait for a reply What, confounded impudence? You can tell your master that there's no answer to this letter. But he told me I must get a reply, sir.
5: You may tell Mr. Lytton-Stanley that I will instruct my solicitors to reply to his message in due course. But, but, sir... That's all, Devers, you may go.
6: Very good, sir.
2: What did the note say, Holmes? Hmm.
5: Read it for yourself.
2: Keep your filthy bees where they belong. One of my guests was stung yesterday. If this happens again, I'll have the police run you out of this
5: place. Good Lord, what... An offensive letter. The man himself is even more offensive. He's a retired manufacturer who thinks that his immense wealth entitles him to domineer over the local residents. Oh, but let not spoil a nice sunny afternoon by discussing him. Please continue with the story of the young lady that you met on the train. Yes,
2: I'd like to. The poor little thing seems in dreadful trouble. I,
5: I do wish you'd help her. You say that she told you uh, her mother knew me. Yes. What's her name? Norton. I mean, Norton. Norton. I don't seem to recall. Oh, but of course. Where is the girl, Watson? She's staying at the Red Lion in the village. Then ring her on the telephone and ask her to come over here as fast as you can. Of course I'll help her.
2: I'm delighted, Holmes, but uh, what made you change your mind so suddenly
5: uh, Your memory's so short that you can't remember Irene Adler. Surely you haven't forgotten that in the case you called a scandal in Bohemia, I was completely fooled by her. Joe yes, of course. You always refer to her as the
2: woman. But how does Irene Norton fit into the picture?
5: Irene Adler married a barrister named Geoffrey Norton. Tell Miss Norton to come at once, Wats- Watson. She is the daughter of the woman.
7: Mister Holmes, I've heard so much about you from Mother. She says you're the cleverest man in England.
5: <laughs> Your mother flatters me, my dear child. She herself was much more clever than I. In fact, it... uh, yes. Did she ever tell you about the uh, the circumstances under which we met?
7: No, Mr. Holmes, though she did <laughs> tell me that you were a witness when she and my father were married. <laughs>
5: yeah, very true, my dear, very true. Though the occasion was a little, uh, well, shall we say, unusual. Look here. This uh, golden mm-hmm. sovereign I wear on my watch chain is a memento of that day. I also have a charming photograph of your mother.
7: You must have known her quite well.
5: How about telling Mr. Holmes about your troubles, my dear? (laughs) Yes. Reminiscences are charming, but they can wait until we've dealt with your problems.
7: Mr. Holmes, I'm being blackmailed.
5: Oh, I'm sorry to hear it. Uh, By whom?
7: By a neighbour of yours, Mr. Lytton Stanley. Do you know him?
5: Oh, yes. Yes, indeed I do. As
2: a matter of fact, Mr. Holmes received a most offensive note from
5: the gentleman less than an hour ago. Uh, what hold does Mr. Stanley have over you, my dear?
7: He has some letters, some rather indiscreet letters of mine that I wrote to a friend of his last year.
5: How did he obtain these letters, Miss Norton?
7: He must have stolen them. I don't know how, but when I was staying at his house a few weeks ago, he told me that he had them and asked £5,000 for their return.
5: Gracious oh, me. And, um, why should he consider your letters even indiscreet letters worth so large a sum?
7: <laughs> I'm engaged to be married to Lord Weston's son. That awful man, didn't Stanley, knows that if my fiancé saw the letters, the marriage would never take place. They must See. be
5: extremely
2: compromising. Oh,
7: they aren't, really. But I was much younger when I wrote them. In fact, I was only 17, and I'm afraid they could easily be misconstrued.
2: Have you told
7: your mother? Oh, no, she'd never understand.
5: Mm. She might surprise you on that score, I think. <laughs> how about your father?
7: Daddy's a barrister. You can imagine how straightly he'd be about the whole thing. That's why I came to you, Mr. Holmes.
5: Oh, I see you, uh, you feel that I am not so, uh, well, shall we say, straight-laced? No,
7: of course you aren't. Mother's told me about you, and in any case, I've read Dr. Watson's stories.
5: Watson, <laughs> my dear fellow, your stories will land me in serious trouble one of these days. Uh, what are you suggesting Mr. Holmes can do for you, Miss Norton?
7: Get the letters back for me. <laughs> but how? Steal them, of course.
5: My oh, dear, I hardly think... No, 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 my dear Watson, don't be shocked. Well, Miss Norton is a forthright girl like her mother before her. It's <laughs> most refreshing.
7: Mr. Holmes, you can't say you won't help me. No, I don't think that I can say it. In any case, I have a slight
5: personal score to settle with Mr. Lytton Stanley myself. He's rude and has no understanding bees. But how are you going to steal the letters? That problem requires a little thought, old chap.
7: I can tell you how to do it, Mr. Holmes.
5: Oh, really? This is delightful, my dear. You've explained the problem and also the way of solving it. How easy a detective's work might be if all clients were equally helpful. Tell me, what is your plan?
7: Tomorrow is a servant's half day off at Mr. Litton Stanley's. He'll be alone there during the afternoon.
5: How do you know that fact?
7: My maid was keeping company, as they say, with Divas the butler when I was staying there a few weeks ago. She found out everything from him. My letters are kept in a filigree box in his desk.
5: With your enterprise, my dear, I'm surprised that you didn't try and open the
7: desk yourself. I did. But it's very sturdy and has a combination lock. However, I'm sure that you and Dr. Watson can think of some way of getting the letters. Particularly if Mr. Lytton Stanley's alone in the
5: house. Uh, We shall do our best, Miss Norton.
7: Promise me one thing, though, both of you. Oh, what's that? Don't read the letters, will you? I'm really rather ashamed of writing them. Oh, of
5: course we won't, my dear child.
7: You're both so sweet to me. How can I thank you?
5: (laughs) Thanks would be a little (laughs) premature, but... uh, you could do us a favor. Of
7: course. What is it?
5: Your mother had a beautiful voice, I recall. I, uh, I wonder if you inherit her talent.
7: Mm, I do sing, though I've never done so professionally, like mother.
5: And I've never played the violin professionally. But perhaps, uh, between us, we could give Watson a little concert? Well, a delightful idea. We can't do
2: anything until tomorrow, anyway. Uh, what would you like to sing?
3: <laughs> Songs, Mom. Really,
5: really remarkably appropriate.
3: In the days long vanished, seldom from Charming. Tonight, music,
2: and tomorrow, a touch of daylight robbery.
5: Dear old Watson. Your disguise is really excellent. Oh, I must confess I'm a little apprehensive. I will have. There's no need to be, I assure you. You, as Dr. Hamish, and I as the Reverend Alby, are calling on Mr. Stanley ostensibly in search of a contribution for my charity hospital that you are in charge of. What could be simpler?
2: Well, what made you decide on, on the role of a clergyman? It should simplify our entrance to the house. No, hmm? I must
5: confess that a rare touch of sentiment prompted The choice of my disguise. Oh, how does
2: sentiment enter
5: into it? Oh, surely you remember that it was in the role of a simple minded nonconformist clergyman that I once attempted to deceive Miss Norton's mother. That's right. <laughs> I'd forgotten. That woman really fascinates you, does not yeah, she? She does, old chap. <laughs> Irene Adler was uh, one woman I've always regarded with unbounded admiration, even though she was a criminal. But the matter this. Come on, old fellow. Are you ready? Yes. You have the equipment I mentioned to you? In my pocket. Let's be off, old chap. Let's be off. If he's home, the devil doesn't answer the door. Come, come, come.
2: My dear Reverend Appleby for a parson. Your language is is hardly appropriate. I'm
5: sorry, Dr. Hamish. Here comes someone. Yes? Mr. Stanley? That's my name. And mine is Appleby, and this is my friend, Dr. Hamish. I'm proud to meet you, sir. I've heard a great deal about you. What can I do for you? If we could come in for a moment, I'll explain our mission.
3: Oh, uh, very well. Come into the study. We are raising a subscription list for a charity hospital at Paddleway,
5: just across the Downs. You're a prominent resident here, and we thought that you'd like to donate a few guineas.
3: I'm really not very interested. I've given as much to charity this year as I can afford. Well, it's a
2: fine course, sir. I'm giving my medical services three days a week, and the Reverend Appleby
5: is donating his services too.
3: Who else has contributed to this fund?
5: All your neighbors, sir. We just came from the bee farm over the downs. The owner, Mr. Holmes, gave us a check for five
3: guineas. Mm. Holmes gave you five guineas,
2: did he? Aye, mm. a very nice gentleman, Mr. Holmes. We're proposing to name a ward in the hospital after him.
3: Is this list of subscribers going to be published in the paper? Oh,
1: yes, oh, yes, mister Bitton Lytton-Stanley.
3: I'll give you ten guineas. Ten oh, guineas. thank That's you, sir. Very thank kind you. of you, sir, I'm sure. Aye, I'll uh, get my checkbook. It's in this desk. A lot of right, Watson. The platform. Right. Now, uh, uh, who do I make this check payable to? Go <coughs> on, hold hold on still, Holmes, hold him still.
5: Very neat, Watson.
2: Oh, form doesn't take long, does no, it? Look back,
5: little old fellow. He's lying over the desk. That's it. Is the filigree box in there? Uh huh. Here it is. Splendid. Holmes, don't open it. You promised that you wouldn't. I just wish to make sure. To but... Make
1: sure. Who was there, Mr. Sherlock Holmes? Who, then? Oh, no, don't move. I have a revolver, and don't turn round. Place the box on the table, Mr. Holmes. And put your hands up, gentlemen, both of you.
5: That's right. I know that voice. It's
1: Devers, the butler. Uh, quite correct, sir.
2: Well, Devers, you need not point a revolver as your
1: your master of ninjas. I'm not in the least interested in my master's health, Dr. Watson. In fact, if he were dead, I should be delighted. And what are you up to, Devers? I'm taking advantage of a situation, sir. I've been trying to open that desk for weeks. After such kindness on your part, sir, I hate to seem ungracious, but I'm dreadfully afraid I shall have to kill you, uh, to kill both of you.
4: Dr. Watson's story will continue in just a second, so I'm just going to remind you that good food always tastes better when served with good wine. And if you like a red wine, say with steak or meat of any kind you love Petri California Burgundy. If you'd rather have a white wine, say, with chicken or fish, then by all means, get Petri California Sauterne. Oh, and look, if opinion is divided in your family, if some of you like a red wine and some like white, this is obvious. Don't buy one, buy two. Remember that, huh? Don't buy one, buy two. But do buy Petri. Then you know it's good. Well, Doctor, that was a fine place to break off your story, with the butler pointing a gun at your backs and you and Sherlock Holmes with your hands above your heads. W- what happened next? <laughs> I know at least you didn't get killed. Or you wouldn't be sitting here in California tonight telling me the story.
2: elementary, my dear Mr. Bartell, <laughs> but supposing I take you back in the story to the point where I left off. Well, all right then. Take me back, Doctor. Take me back. Very well. We stood there, Holmes and I, our hands above our heads.
1: As Divas said grateful i am that you opened the desk for me after such kindness on your part sir i hate to seem ungracious but i'm dreadfully afraid i'm going to have to kill you both
5: because i dislike to appear stupid at such a melodramatic moment but why is it necessary to kill us uh,
1: for months i have been waiting for an opportunity to steal the kitman jar emerald and now you have done it for me sir and presented me with a perfect alibi a kitman jar emerald oh come now miss holmes you know the treasures in this house as well as i do Apart from the emerald, there's a superb Cellini that would fetch a fine price in the right market. We aren't
2: here after any valuables, my good man.
1: Please don't call me your good man, Dr. Watson. It's patronizing and untrue. In any case, sir, whether you were here after the valuables or not makes no difference. I've caught you both red-handed. You're completely in my power, gentlemen.
5: You're going to steal the treasures, I suppose, and then pretend that we were responsible.
1: Exactly, sir. Mm -hmm. I shall kill you both, secrete what objects appeal to me, and when my master regains consciousness, I shall explain that I found three men burgling the house, that I killed two of them while the third got away with the loot. Who will be able to doubt my word? To be regarded as a hero. (laughs) I might even have my salary raised. Uh, Watson, I'm afraid this is the end, old chap.
2: What a sordid way to die. shot the
5: back like a coward. Adivas. At least do us the courtesy of allowing us to face the firing squad, will you?
1: Very well, gentlemen. Turn round, but don't try any tricks.
5: One last request. What is it, sir? I'm beaten and I admit it. I'm getting old, but in my heyday I've crossed swords with some of the greatest criminals in Europe. My life has been attempted many times, but I've always escaped. This is to be my swan song, at least give me the privilege of shaking the hand of a man
1: who has at last bested me. Well, sir, I feel that I'm stepping a little out of my station, but I... Suppose the situation is unusual. I hope don't object to the left hand, sir. I'll keep the revolver in my right. Very well, Devers. There you are. Goodbye, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Goodbye, Devers. And my congratulations for.
5: My congratulations for being a fool. Well done, Holmes. Maybe getting old, Watson, but I've not lost my skill at barracks, too. Oh, he went over your
2: shoulder in a flash. Fortunately, the
5: bullet went wide. Where is he, Watson? Struck the desk as he fell.
2: Yes, he's guessed his head. It's not serious. He'll be unconscious for a while
5: good but i think we'll take the precaution of closing this desk drawer i don't want him to be exposed to further temptation when he comes to there we are well, shouldn't we get into touch with the police home the Police, great scott no old fellow after all we're burglars and we're in disguise two facts that would be hard to explain satisfactorily no we must act to the bee farm as soon as possible yes i
2: suppose you're right miss norton will be waiting for us there we'll and tell her what happened poor girl i'm afraid she's in for something of a shock
7: Mr. Holmes, Dr. Watson, I'm so glad to see you back again. Did you get the filigree box?
5: Yes, Miss Norton, here it is. But Holmes, I didn't know that you. Watson, uh, why not open it, Miss Norton?
7: Well, I. I, uh... Open it,
5: my dear. There may not be love letters inside it, but there's a note.
7: Oh.
5: Why don't you read it to
7: us? Let this be a warning, Miss Norton. Crime does not pay. If you don't believe me, ask your mother. Sincerely, Sherlock Holmes. Mr. Holmes, you knew my secret all the time. Not all
5: the time, but I realized it as soon as I'd opened the filigree box. What on earth are you talking about? Miss Norton was under the impression that she could use me as a cat's paw, as a dupe to commit a burglary for her. Well, I still don't understand, Holmes. You will remember she asked us to promise not to open the box. Yes, but you did, sir, just before the fellow held us up with a revolver. What was inside the box? An impressive green stone which I knew to be the Kitmanjar Emerald. But
7: where are the emerald
5: now? I slipped it back into Mr. Litton Stanley's desk and locked it brought the box here because I wanted to see your expression, Miss Norton, as you opened it.
2: Great Scott, and I thought you would
5: pull a thing in trouble.
7: Shocking.
5: You <laughs> have to save yourself, young lady.
7: That I'm terribly sorry, Mr. Holmes, terribly sorry. It seemed like a wildly exciting idea, but I didn't really mean to steal it. No,
5: of course not. No, no, of course you didn't. Let me to steal it for you. Miss Norton, I'm convinced you knew that your mother once outwitted me, and you presumed to think that you could do the same. I should turn you over to the police.
7: Please don't, Mr. Holmes, you can't do that.
5: I certainly could. But I'm not going to for two reasons. First, you're young and impressionable. And this will teach you a lesson. And in the second place, I have a strange admiration for your mother. But I warn you, Miss Norton, that you have had a narrow escape. A very narrow escape.
7: Mr. Holmes, before I go, there's one favor I want to ask (laughs) you.
5: (laughs) Really? What is it?
7: Could I keep this filigree box with your note inside it? It would be a reminder all my life of how we met.
5: Ah, What do you say, Watson? It isn't your box to give home. That's true, old fellow. That's quite true. But I fail to see how we can return it now without disclosing our own share in the attempted robbery. In any case, I don't like Mr. Lytton-Stanley. I think we might indulge in a little petty larceny without uh, feeling too guilty. Very well, Miss Norton. You may keep the box.
7: I shall always treasure it. Thank you. Goodbye, Dr. Watson. Don't think too badly of me. Mm -hmm. Goodbye. Good night,
2: Mr. Sherlock Holmes. You know, Holmes, I must say you were surprisingly lenient with that girl. Do you
5: suppose her mother put her up to the whole thing? That possibility had occurred to me old fellow and yet i have a feeling that
3: come in doors open were you expecting anyone no well, Scott, it's good evening sir this is an unexpected honor sherlock holmes we haven't been the best of friends i know but you've got to help me now
5: i'm in serious trouble oh indeed sir won't you sit down this is my friend doc watson how, how do, you? do you and now sir now, what is your trouble?
3: I've been robbed, Holmes. Robbed? What the stolen? Well, my greatest pleasure, the jar emerald removed from his case and then mysteriously returned loose in my desk afterwards. But there's a <laughs> priceless Cellini missing. Have you, uh... Have you any idea who the Burgers might be? Oh, was a gang, I'm sure of that. A couple disguised as a clergyman and a doctor came into the house on the pretext of raising money for some hospital. And they overpowered me with chloroform.
5: Oh, dear me, dear me. How very unpleasant for you.
3: Yes, sir. Well, when I came to, I found my butler deepers lying beside me in a pool of blood. The brave fellow had wrestled with the thieves, but they got away. And he's in the hospital now. Holmes, you've got to help me.
5: The Kipmanjar emerald was returned, you say, but a, a Cellini is missing. Yes. It's an exquisite filigree box
3: in which I had kept the emerald. A filigree box? Yes, it's a genuine Cellini. It's worth several thousand pounds. Holmes, you must help me solve this business.
5: I'm sorry, Mr. Lytton-Stanley, but I'm afraid I can't help you. I've retired. <clears throat> yes, and I intend to remain in retirement. <laughs> Good night, sir. Oh, but
3: I will pay you any fee within reason. My decision is final, sir. Good night. Oh, I might have known I wouldn't get any help from you. Holmes, she fooled
5: you. Yes, again. yes, the little devil. She knew that box for at Cellini all the time. You
2: don't seem very angry with her over
5: Ah, uh, I should be, but I'm not. What splendid audacity. What a superb nerve the child has. But you must get the box back from her. I shall, Watson. I shall. Or rather, I shall sway Devers to do it for me. As the price of our silence. But how can he get it back? Remember that he walks out with Miss Norton's maid. I'm certain that when he explains his predicament, he can prevail upon her to steal the box from her mistress so that it may be returned to its rightful owner.
2: That's a good idea. By George Holmes...
5: Miss Norton's a chip-off
2: old block, all right. Yes,
5: Watson, she is, and it makes me wonder. What about? (laughs) I wonder, my dear chap, how long I can remain in retirement. Such a worthy antennist at large, it's a challenge. It's an irresistible challenge.
4: You know, Dr. Watson, I just can't get over the way you and Mr. Holmes let that girl, uh, Irene, was that her name, pull the wool over your eyes. Why, she really twisted you around her little finger.
2: Mr. Bartell, I don't like to make extremely positive statements, but I'm sure that if you were in my shoes, Irene would not only have twisted you around her little finger, but she'd have had you rolling about in hoops and standing on your head. (laughs) You mean she was that beautiful? Mr. Bartell, she was so beautiful... That she'd make you forget all about Petri wine.
4: Dr. Watson, no girl is that beautiful.
2: Oh, how young you really are. Well,
4: maybe so, but there are lots of pretty girls in this world and only one Petri wine. That's because there's only one Petri family that's been making wine since the 1800s. And believe me, because the Petri business has always been family-owned and operated, they've been able to hand on down from father to son, from father to son the highly skilled art of making fine wine. And those generations of winemaking add up to a lot of experience. The Petri family really knows how to turn luscious California grapes into fragrant, delicious wine. That's why no matter what type of wine you wish, you can't go wrong looking for the label that says P-E-T-R-I, Petri. Because Petri took time to bring you good wine. Well, Dr. Watson, what story are you planning to tell us next week? Well, now,
2: next week, Mr. Bartell, is the day before Christmas. So I'm going to tell you an adventure that took place many years ago and involved Holmes and myself in one of the most fantastic christmas Eve situations in which we ever found ourselves. I think you'll like the story.
8: I call it. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator.
2: Drop your usual chair. Thank you. Ah, uh, that's it.
4: Well, did you enjoy the Christmas holidays? <laughs> well, I've, I've had a whale of a time, thank Ooh. you, but I don't think I can face a turkey or a mince pie for at least another year. <laughs> uh, how about you, Doctor?
2: Oh, I had a very pleasant week, too, my boy. Parties, visitors, and a flattering number of Christmas messages to be answered. Oh, say, you got a new pipe. Is that a Christmas present? Yes, new pipe, new tobacco pouch, and a pound of my favorite tobacco. All of them sent to me from London by an old client and a friend of mine, Sir Ian Dunbar.
4: An old client, huh? Well, do you mean he was one of your patients, or was he someone that you and the great Sherlock Holmes helped? The latter, Mr. Bartell. As a matter of fact, it was receiving
2: this gift that reminded me of the story I've decided to tell you tonight. A story in which Sir Ian Dunbar played a prominent part. And how did it begin? The day before New Year's Eve in 1899, Sherlock Holmes and I sat in opposite corners of a first-class railway carriage so he sped towards Edinburgh in the Flying Scotsman.
4: What took you and Sherlock Holmes up there, Doctor?
2: It started off as a holiday visit, Mr. Bartell. My old friend Sir Walter Dunbar had asked Holmes and me to spend a few days with him at Dunbar Castle, about 20 miles outside Edinburgh. After we left Kings Cross Station, Holmes, his sharp, eager face framed in his deerstalking cap, dipped into the bundle of fresh papers which he'd brought with him we left Bedford far behind us before he thrust the last one of them under the seat, leaned across, and offered me his cigar.
5: Careful cigar, Watson? No, no thanks, Awful. I'll, I'll stick to my pipe. The flying Scotsman's living up to its name. We're going splendidly. Our present rate is 53 and a half miles an hour. Oh, I haven't noticed the quarter-mile post. Nor have I, but the telegraph posts on this line are 60 yards apart. With the aid of a watch, the calculation is a simple one. Watson, my dear fellow, we have several hours ahead of us. Now, tell me more about Sir Walter Dunbar. I have a feeling that he is in some kind of trouble, that you haven't wanted to talk about it. Well, it's not exactly
2: trouble, Holmes, but there's a strange problem that confronts the Dunbar. There's a problem that will be settled at midnight tomorrow. Oh, indeed. night of New Year's Eve, eh? Yes, exactly, but to, to really appreciate the story, I have to begin by telling you of the death of old Sir Thomas Dunbar. The father of the present baronet, I suppose. Yes, he was severely wounded at Waterloo, though he managed to last out long enough to get back to Dunbar Castle. The story goes that as he lay there on his deathbed, he told his wife of
0: his plans
2: for their unborn son.
0: <laughs> uh, dinner grave, lass. I fetched the baronet here home from Waterloo. What if I fetched the mortal wound as well? Oh, hush, Oh, hush, lass. I'm not afraid to die. All that niggles me is that I shall never see the child you bear. Is Sir will Scott no coming yet? Kenny, uh, he visit the deathbed of his old friend. Uh, who's there? there? Is that you, Sandy Murdock? Aye, right, Thomas, it's me. Uh, I'm leaving an unborn son behind me when I die. Now, I don't trust women or children or banks, for that matter. put the best part of my wealth and gold in the big iron box you'll find under the bed. The money's there. Aye, and something else for a rainy day. You are to keep that box in trust for me, Sandy. You can turn it over to my boy on the New Year's Eve before his 21st birthday. And he'll be a man and wise enough to know how to use it. You understand, Sandy? Aye, Thomas. But supposing your bairns a girl... A girl? I tell you, it'll be a boy. (laughs) And we'll name him Walter after my good friend... Sir Walter Scott.
5: Very interesting story, Watson. And that child, of course, is the gentleman we are going to see now, Sir Walter Dunbar. Exactly. And the first baronet was a friend of Sir Walter Scott while his son can boast of your acquaintance. Why, it's a a family singularly rich in literary friendships. That's not very
2: funny, Holmes. Uh, Continue, I suppose you can guess what happened. Sir Thomas Carefree drew up a document to specify. The New Year's Eve before the baronet's 21st birthday. And the poor child was born on February the 29th.
5: <laughs> it was a leap year. Oh, so poor Sir Walter is still waiting for his iron box full of gold.
2: Yes, he'll be 84 next year. And yet legally, with only one birthday every four years in the eyes of the law, he'll at last be...
5: Twenty-one. A most amusing situation, <laughs> though I'm afraid Sir Walter finds it far from entertaining. The lawyers must have been extremely scrupulous in abiding by the letter of the document. Yes, old Sandy Murdoch
2: is dead now, of course, but he too has a great grandson, William Murdoch, who still handles the Dunbar estate. He'll be at the castle tonight to formally hand over the iron
5: box. I'm delighted you accepted the holiday invitation of Sir Walter. My dear fellow, I've needed a rest, but... Uh... I've always loathed too strict to a one. This situation may pose a nice little problem for me. Problem? Yes, I'm reasonably certain that the aged Sir Walter Dunbar will not get his iron box full of gold on this New Year's Eve either. But we shall see, old fellow. We shall see. <laughs>
9: Dr. Watson, I'm glad to see you and Mr. Holmes here at the castle. Thank you, my boy. Holmes, this is Ian Dunbar, Sir Walter's grandson. How do you do, Mr. Dunbar? I'm very proud to meet you, Mr. Holmes. I've heard a lot about you. Our grandfather will be down in a few moments. Let's go into the library, shall we?
2: I imagine Sir Walter's quite excited about tonight's ceremony, isn't he? (laughs)
9: Wouldn't you be if you'd waited 63 years too long for an inheritance? (laughs) Thank the Lord I had the foresight to be born on the prosaic date of August the 21st. (laughs) 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 Even if your grandfather's death, you would be the next baronet, I take it. Yes, Mr. Holmes. You see, my father was killed two months ago at Mafeking.
2: Yes, yes. I read about it in the papers, my boy. I'm, I'm very sorry.
9: Thank you, Doctor. The opening of the box isn't going to be the only ceremony at midnight. Dorothy and I are announcing our engagement. Uh, Dorothy? Uh, Dorothy Small. She and her father are staying here, too. My congratulations.
2: Yes, yes, indeed, Ian. Indeed. Mine, too.
9: <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's been quite a battle with her father, though. He's a businessman and isn't impressed with titles when they aren't accompanied by a suitable income. But when we told him about the inheritance, he relented and gave his consent. Ah, here's Dorothy now. Dorothy, darling, I want you to meet two friends of mine, Mr. Sherlock Holmes and uh, Dr. Watson.
8: How do you do?
2: How do you do, Miss Ball? Uh, How are you, my dear? From what this young man's been telling us, I I gather that congratulations are in order.
8: (laughs) Thank you. I finally persuaded father that Ian would make a worthy son-in-law. For a while, I was afraid we'd have to elope for Gretna Green, <laughs> live in a cottage on bread and cheese and love but brave the parental wrath, just as they do in the storybooks.
2: Oh, Sir Walter, there you are.
10: Uh, Watson, my dear boy. Uh, how are you? And uh, this must be your friend Sherlock Holmes. How do you do, Sir Walter? <laughs> Very well for a young nipper who'll be 21 at midnight. <laughs> Uh, gentlemen, may I introduce Mr. Herbert oh,
2: hello. hello, sir. I believe that we have to congratulate you on the engagement of your daughter. Hmm. That was supposed to remain a secret until midnight. Mm-hmm. The Dunbar box was finally opened. Oh, Dinner be
10: grouchy, Ooh. Herbert. The children are in law, and I'm going to settle money on Ian. And it's New Year's Eve. Let's enter into the spirit of the occasion. Bring out the glasses, Ian. I've had some bottles of my special pride put Ooh. out. It's <laughs> the finest port in Scotland. The cream of Dunbar. I... My father laid the first bottle down the year before I was born. And a drink of the brew will surely warm the cockles of your heart.
2: Oh, my mouth's watching already, Sir Walter. When
10: is this, when is this uh, lawyer fellow, young Murdoch, getting here? Oh, any moment, Herbert. As soon as he arrives, we'll have dinner, and then we'll be ready for the evening ceremony. He's bringing the famous iron box with him, Sir Walter? If he doesn't, he won't get any dinner, Holmes. Ian, pass the glasses around, my boy. Ah, there you are, Murdoch.
3: Good evening, Sir Walter.
10: Oh, you've got the box we I see. Now the party's complete. Oh, let me introduce you. Miss Small, her father, Mr. Small, my grandson, Ian, you know. Mr. Sherlock Holmes, Dr. Watson. How, How do you do, sir? Huh? I'm sorry I'm late, Sir Walter. My train was delayed. Oh, that's all right, Murdoch. You're here, and you brought the box. That's all that matters. Ian. Give our young lawyer a drink. Here,
2: I'll help you pour it. I must say that this is rather exciting, Holmes, a famous iron box with its inheritance
5: of gold. Yes, and from the size of the box, at a rough guess, I should estimate its cubic content in gold at around 5,000 pounds. Not a vast sum, perhaps, to a businessman like Mr. Small, but a windfall to an impecunious Scottish baron. Yes, I suppose it is. A strong young man, Mr. Murdoch. How do you mean strong, Holmes? A box that size full of golden sovereigns would weigh a considerable amount. And yet the lawyer carried it single-handed. And
2: now that
10: we're all assembled, I'm going to propose a toast. Though it's still some hours off yet, let's drink to the new year. It means a lot to some of us. To 1900! 1900.
3: 1900.
8: We should toast more than just 1900, Sir Walter. We should drink to the new century that's about to begin.
2: Good idea, Dorothy. Oh, I'm afraid that wouldn't be quite appropriate, Miss Small. To be accurate, the 20th century... Won't begin until January the 1st, 1901, and not 1900. Of course, that's
10: it. Dorothy, I'm afraid your wedding can't take place for some time yet.
8: Father, what are you talking about?
10: I read an article in The Guardian the other day that said just the same thing as you, Dr. Watson. And what's more, it said something even more important. It said that 1900 is not a leap year. Oh, rubbish. Leap year comes every four years. There was one in 1896, then obviously 1900 is one. I think Mr. Small may be right.
5: What do you say, Mr. Holmes, do you know? Well, I hope no one would bring up this point, but it's the little problem I referred to on the train, my dear Watson. Holmes, for heaven's sake, answer. Is 1900 a leap year? or No. I'm afraid it's not, Sir Walter. No? Because of a slight imbalance that would otherwise be produced in the calendar. Of the even century years, only those divisible by 400 are leap years. In other words, 1,600 was a leap year, the year 2,000 will be a leap year, but uh, 1,800 and 1,900 are not leap years. Then you have no birthday next year, Sir Walter, and I'm afraid I can't open the box tonight.
8: And the Dunbars won't get their inheritance? And
5: you, my dear, don't marry for a few more years. I won't allow you to marry a pauper. Mr. Holmes, are you sure of your facts? I'm very much afraid that I am, young man. Oh, this is terrible. I can't stand any more. No, no, no! Don't take it too badly, Sir Walter. Here, here's
2: it. Here, drink this. Uh, yeah. That's it. After all, you only have to wait another
10: four years. Another four years. At my age, young man. At my age. Oh no, I shall never live that long. Hey, what is it, Angus?
0: Dinner is prepared, Sir Walter. We can serve it as soon as you're ready, sir. <laughs>
2: What a miserable meal, Holmes. Sir Walter's gone to his room. The young lovers are nearly in tears. and small and the lawyer Murdoch seem to be positively
5: gloating. Yes, a most depressing atmosphere in which to welcome the new year. But let us, at least, make the best of it. I think I'll go and have a talk with Sir Walter. And you, my dear chap, why not try and cheer up the young folks? Mm. Some of your experiences in India may make, some, make their
2: minds off a trouble. That's yes, quite an idea. I'll join you in the library. Call me a few if you want me, Holmes. Ah, there you are, my dears.
8: Hello, Dr. Watts.
2: All alone in front of the fire, eh? <laughs> I'm afraid we're not in very good spirits, sir. Oh, nevertheless, I'll sit down here and join you, if you don't mind. Misery loves company, you know. <laughs> you're,
8: you're very kind, doctor. Oh, sure. I was just trying to persuade Ian to elope with me. But he's being most ungallant. He won't even consider it.
9: How can I, darling? I've got under 200 pounds a year in my own right. How could we live on that? I was counting on the money the grandfather was going to give us to get me started. Now, now,
2: now, now, Miss small a little earlier, you talked of Greta Green and bread and cheese and love in a cottage. Yes, uh, there's a lot to be said for it, you know. Uh, To be said for it, yes, Doctor. But have you ever tried it? Not literally, my boy, but uh, I may tell you that when Mary, my wife, and I were first married, I had very little money. In fact, my income was just about the sum that you mentioned. And uh, we were very happy. Ah,
9: but you have a profession, Doctor. Look at me. I've been trained for nothing except to be lord of Dunbar Castle. I can't support a wife on tradition.
8: But you're young, Ian. You can get some kind of position. I'm sure you yes, can. Yes, of
5: course, of course. As a matter of fact, I think that... Holmes, what is it? What's wrong? There's devil's work afoot, Watson. Come with me, old fellow. And you, Mr. Dunbar.
8: Mr. Holmes, what's happened? It's Sir
5: Walter. I went to his room. It was in darkness. But in the moonlight, I saw two figures struggling by the open casement. One of them was Sir Walter. As I entered, he disappeared from sight. His attacker had pushed him out of the window into the moat. How dreadful. The other man got away in the darkness. We must get lanterns and go out to the moat at once. Though I'm very much afraid, Mr. Dunbar, that your grandfather is beyond our
4: help. Dr. Watson will be back in just a second, so... I'd just like to remind you that if you want to serve a wine over the holidays... that you're sure the ladies will enjoy... Serve Petri California Muscatel. Petri Muscatel is a golden wine with a wonderful flavor. The flavor of big, plump Muscat grapes. And you know what a flavor that is. I'm sure you'll find that Petri Muscatel is the favorite wine of all women, just as Petri Port is the favorite wine with men. And incidentally, if you're not sure which to get, Petri Muscatel or Petri Port, don't buy one, buy two. Get them both, and you'll be sure to please everyone. Now, to get back to our story, someone had pushed poor old Sir Walter out of his bedroom window and into the moat below. Isn't that right, Dr. Watson? Yes,
2: Mr. Bartell. Of course, we grabbed lanterns as fast as we could and rushed outside, but it was a hopeless task. The water was eight or ten feet deep, and it seemed obvious that the elderly Sir Walter wouldn't have a chance of saving himself. But we searched on the flicker of bobbing lanterns and the scurrying figures in the frosty moonlight, forming a weird...
9: Angus, bring a lantern over here Aye, sir Can you see
10: anything home? Nothing well, I don't see why your friend doesn't call the police, Dr. Watson He's accomplishing nothing He
2: thought there might be a chance of finding the old man alive, Mr. Small He wants to avoid a scandal, if possible, for your sake, sir As well as the Dunbar The no, scandal
10: can't touch me or Dorothy over this Her engagement was never announced, thank heaven That's a great pity,
2: sir I should think some new blood in your family would be a great improvement you being being confoundedly impertinent, And after. you'll be
5: confoundedly heartless, sir well, Holmes, have, have you given up hope? I don't, I'm afraid we'll never find him without drag and grappling hooks. Have to call the police. What time is it, Sir Ian? You know the time. What did you call me, Mister Holmes? Sir Ian. My yes. It does seem a bit premature, Holmes, but of course you're
2: right. If your poor grandfather's dead, Mister Dunbar, you're the baronet now.
5: And the time, Sir Ian? It's it's a quarter to twelve, Mister Holmes. A quarter of an hour to the new year. Sir Ian, doesn't that fact suggest something to you?
9: Yes, yes it does. So I'm the new baronet, am I? Very well then. There'll be no more talk of the police for 15 minutes. I want all of you to come back to the castle with me. As the last chime of midnight rings out, I shall have a statement to make. A statement that I want you all to hear. <laughs>
2: She brought us all back here for home. There's something very funny going on. I tell you, I don't like the look of it. And I, Watson, like the look of it very much. I wish you wouldn't be so dashed mysterious. What are you up to? You haven't taken a step yet towards finding the murderer? Have I?
5: And I wonder what causes the beads of perspiration on Mr. Small's brow... Well, you mean that small. Yes, I wonder what causes the singular look of apprehension on the face of Murdoch, the young lawyer. You remember, of course, on my remarking how easily he carried the large iron box. Well, Scott, yes,
2: and it took a strong man to throw Sir Walter out of the window.
5: huh? the new year is approaching.
9: Ladies and gentlemen, in view of our recent tragedy, this is one New Year's Eve when none of us feels like song and jollity but there still remains a ritual duty for me to perform. Mr. Murdoch, open the iron box, please. But, but, but I can't do that. It was only to be opened for your grandfather. Mr. No, Mr. Murdoch. The phrase was that it was to be opened on the New Year's Eve before the baronet's 21st birthday. I am now the baronet, and I shall be 21 next year on August 21st. Open the box, please, Mr. Murdoch.
8: Ian, darling, how frightfully clever of you. Good
9: lad, I hoped you would think of it. But, sir, Murdock. Murdoch! Open that box. Very well, Serene. But I'm afraid you're in for something of a shock. Great,
2: oh. Scott, the, the
9: box is empty. Oh, oh. Except for a sheet of yeah, notepaper in the bottom. What's the meaning of this, Murdoch? Read that paper, Sir Ian, and you'll understand. I owe you 4,000 sovereigns. And it's signed Alexander Murdoch. On behalf of Murdoch and Murdoch, lawyers, you'd better explain this. It's the family skeleton, Serene. That note is signed by my
10: great-grandfather, the one that witnessed the original deed concerning in the box. As soon as Sir Walter was born on that February the 29th, my great-grandfather realized the money wouldn't have to be produced for 84 years. And so he stole it. He borrowed it. He always intended to pay it back, but he was never able to. When he died, he told my father of his secret, and my father in turn told me. We've always planned to put back the money, Sir Ian, but we've never been able to. This is daylight robbery. You should prosecute the me and the firm's still in
9: business. You can ruin them, you can sue them for every penny they have. Mr. Small, you've already shown a marked aversion to my family. I suggest you allow me to handle their affairs.
8: Bravo, Ian.
9: How dare you, Dorothy. Go to your room. No one's going to their room. No one's leaving here until the police arrive. I'm convinced that one of you
2: murdered my grandfather tonight. And if you ask me, it's obvious who that someone is. Who, Dr. Watson? You, Mr. Murdoch. You came here planning to kill poor old Sir Walter because you never intended to open that box. You thought that your secret would die with him. That's a lie. I was going to tell him everything and then ask for time to pay the money.
10: I didn't kill of him. Of course he didn't. There's your murderer. You yourself, Ian.
8: Father, what are you saying? I'm
10: saying that Ian's the murderer. He saw that the box wasn't going to be open for another four years. He realized that the money couldn't marry Dorothy. So he killed his grandfather and then ordered the box
9: open. You're trying to cover yourself. You pushed grandfather out of that window tonight. You thought that if he died, the box would never be opened. So Dorothy couldn't marry me.
2: You, you... You
9: young...
5: Gentlemen, pepper. gentlemen, Upon oh, my soul, Holmes, you seem remarkably calm. Do I, my dear Watson? I must say I am absolutely fascinated by listening to three people accusing each other of murder, and each of them producing perfectly sound motives. It's a remarkable example of the dangers of reasoning from motive alone. We should profit by experience, Watson.
8: Mr. Holmes, how can you be so calm? There's a murderer in this I room. I suppose this
5: hmm. game of charades is getting a little out of hand, Miss Small. Let's conclude it. You'd better come out now.
10: That tapestry, it's moving. A happy new year to your old grandfather.
2: Sir Walter, how am I seeing a ghost? Oh, Sir Walter, you're all right.
8: But <laughs> so
10: what kind of a game have you been playing? It's a funny game that Holmes and I invented. You might call it forcing the issue. I was determined to have the box open before the next four years were out, whilst I was still alive to look inside it. But the trickery of your family, Murdoch, has made me a very unhappy man. Sir Walter, I shall pay back the money in a few years. I swear I will. It'll be too late to do me any good, but I'll take care that Ian gets it. I've half a mind to prosecute you. Grandfather, the money isn't important now that you're all right. Uh, you were counting on it just the same, my boy, so that you could marry Dorothy. I know that. Uh, she'll never marry a pauper. I won't allow it.
8: When I'm 21, you can't stop me, Father, and I am going to marry Ian. Be
10: quiet. So, Walter, is a very unsavory business. Uh, I think that you owe us an explanation of your behavior tonight. You tell him, Holmes. I fancy a wee drop of cream of Dunbar. Watching you
5: all search for my body in the moat has made me thirsty. <laughs> The explanation is a very simple one, ladies and gentlemen. When you arrived here tonight, Mr. Murdoch, I knew from the way you handled the box that it could not contain the sum of gold it was supposed to. Open.
2: And so you, you suspected fraud and devised a plan to force the opening
5: of the box, right? Yes, and Sir Walter was an eager conspirator. Of course I was.
2: Ian is 21
10: next August. Supposing, supposing I had died after he came of age and before
5: my next birthday, four years hence, the box would never have been opened. And so we invented the fake murder story. By the way, Ian... I must congratulate you for grasping the possibilities of the situation so speedily. If you hadn't demanded the opening of the box, the Murdoch secret might still be a secret. Well, it was a clever plan, Holmes. It's too bad that it had to have such a miserable ending. I'm not sure that we have finished with the matter. Uh, Mr. Murdoch. Yes, Mr. Holmes. You say that your family took 4,000 pounds from that box? Yes, Mr. Holmes. I'm curious. I would have sworn from its size that it would hold closer to 5,000. And in your account of the legend, Watson, you told me that Sir Thomas Dunbar... Stated on his deathbed that he had put something else in the yeah, box. Right. Something for a rainy day, is that yeah. it? Mm-hmm. Did the Murdochs find that extra something? No, Mr. Holmes. They found nothing but the gold. Oh, that's very odd. I think I'll take a closer look at that box, if you don't mind.
8: Since this seems to be a night of telling secrets, I think you might as well know, Father, that if you don't give your consent, I shall elope with you. Oh, bravo, my dear, bravo.
5: No such thing. <laughs> I admire your resolution, young lady, but I hardly think it will be necessary. What do you mean, Holmes? Permit me to show you all the treasure of the Dunbar's. What have you found, Holmes? The, something for a rainy day that old Sir Thomas spoke of. You see, since the cubic contents of the box obviously differed from my calculations, I deduced the existence of a false bottom. I was correct. And in that space, I found this.
2: Oh,
5: it's, it's a manuscript. Quite so, the manuscript of a book. Look at the title page and see the author's name. A History of the Dunbar Family... By Sir Walter Scott.
10: Oh, I was mean. Scott. I think,
5: Sir Walter, that an original and unpublished manuscript by your distinguished namesake will prove worth several times the gold that is missing from that box.
10: You've saved the day for us, Holmes, my boy. God bless you. Oh, oh this has been as strange a stranger new year as ever I knew, but it's turned out to be a bonny one, thanks to you, Holmes.
2: Well, fill up
10: your glasses.
5: We're going to drink a toast to the New Year. Aye, Joe, yes, Sir Walter. This is really a happy occasion. Then <laughs> let's complete it by singing the traditional song of the season, "Old Lang Syne. And in this case, when we sing, Should Old Acquaintance Be Forgot, I feel that in our hearts we should be thinking of Sir Walter Scott. He died over 60 years ago. He's made us all very happy here tonight. Uh... Should old
2: acquaintance be forgot and never
4: Doctor, that turned out to be a very happy new year for all concerned. Yes, that's one new year that I'll never forget. Well, I sure hope you'll always remember this one, too. Oh, just a second, my boy. That calls for a glass of port.
2: Fine. Uh, Well, to a a happy new year, my boy, for you and for our many friends listening in. And to you, Doctor.
4: (laughs) Oh, thanks, boy. (laughs) Ah, that's good. Doctor, this has indeed been a pleasant association for me. Oh, I'm it. Yeah. You're the best storyteller I've ever known, and the Petri family makes the best wine I've ever tasted. Ooh. I hope that just as they've been making wine for generations in the past, the Petri family will continue to make fine wine in the future.
2: Uh, and Oh, Mr. Bartell,
4: I know that you'll always be here to tell us just how good that Petri wine is. Well, I hope so, Doctor. <laughs> and I hope you'll always be right here beside me to... Tell another swell story about Mr. Holmes. (laughs) Oh, and incidentally, Doctor, what new adventure are you planning to tell us next week?
2: Next week, Mr. Bartell, I'm going to tell you a weird story. It starts with a series of murders on Hampstead Heath and ends with a battle to the death in a burning waxworks. I call it the Strange Case of the
4: Murderer in Wax. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System.
6: I would like to thank Phyllis White for taking the time to tell us about her husband, Anthony Boucher, and also about Dennis Green, and those wonderful times not so long ago when Holmes and Watson were played by Rathbone and Bruce. The two episodes you have just heard are part of the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Starring Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce, and are a 1988 copyrighted production of 221A Baker Street Associates. The Sherlock Holmes stories and the characters of Sherlock Holmes and Dr. John H. Watson were created by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and are used with the kind permission of Dame Jean Conan Doyle. This is Ben Wright. Won't you join me again sometime soon? But two more new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Thank you for listening.
1: This
4: episode from the life of Sherlock Holmes will be transmitted to our men and women overseas by shortwave and through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Petri Wine brings you Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce and the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invite you to listen to Dr. Watson tell us another exciting adventure he shared with his old friend, that master detective, Sherlock Holmes. Tonight, instead of joining the doctor at his home, We're all meeting here at Camp Roberts in California, where the doctor's going to tell his story before a large audience of G.I.s. And, as usual, I'm going to tell my story right now. It's about Petri California Sherry. And I want you to know that Petri Sherry is the best beginning a good meal ever had. Before you sit down to dinner some evening soon, just pour yourself a glass of Petri Sherry. Look at that rich, dark, amber color. Just smell the fragrance of those wonderful grapes. And then taste that Petri Sherry. Is that ever good? And say, if you like your sherry on the dry side, you know, not sweet, then just wait till you taste Petri Pale Dry Sherry. If some of your family like regular sherry and some like pale dry, don't buy one, buy two. You can't go wrong so long as you buy Petri. P E T R I. Petri Sherry. And now let's join Dr. Watson and get on with our... Good evening, Mr. Bartell. Doctor, your study seems a little bigger than usual
2: this week. <laughs> yes, my boy. I felt that as tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure was rather an exciting one, the men here at Camp Roberts might like me to, to tell it to them in person. I'm sure they will, Doctor. Which particular story have you selected? One that I call The Strange Case of the Murder in Wex. It concerns one of the most sinister mass murderers who ever threatened the peace of London. In the summer of 1900... And the city had been rocked by a series of ghastly murders on Hampstead Heath. Hampstead Heath? Yes, Hampstead Heath. That's a large rambling park in the suburbs of London, Mr. Bartell. And noted as a rendezvous for young lovers. It was here that the elusive murderer, Knife in Hand, was wont to roam at night time, searching for his prey. All of his victims were young girls. And despite the frantic efforts of the police, each murder seemed to be as baffling as the one that preceded. Finally, of course, as usual, Scotland Yard came to Sherlock Holmes for help. It seems almost like yesterday, Mr. Bartell, that Inspector Lestrade stood in
11: our Baker Street rooms
2: imploring Holmes to handle the case.
11: Mr. Holmes, you've got to help us. I don't mind telling you the
5: yard's at the end of its rope. I sympathise with you, Lestrade, but I don't see that there's much that I can do. Only the police can handle the widespread detailed work necessary to this case. The private detective is helpless. Yes, perhaps if
11: you'd come to Mr. Holmes in the first place, Lestrade, he might have helped you. But the murderer hasn't finished yet. There'll be more killings if we don't catch him, you mark my words. Mr. Holmes, please help us, won't you? Before I commit myself, Lestrade, give me the exact chronology
5: of events, will you? All my information on the murders has been derived from the London newspapers.
11: Notoriously inaccurate, in matters of fact. I can give you all the particulars, sir. I've been on the case right from the beginning. All the murders have taken place on Amstead Heath at night time, and all the victims have been young women. Who was the first one? A girl by the name of Oakley, a Bessie Oakley. She was a shop girl who worked at Derry and Tom's in Kensington High Street. Three weeks ago, she was out on the Heath for the young fella by the name of Alfred Smith. He told me it was a moonlight night that night as they sat there out on the... Come on, Bessie, give us a
4: kiss.
7: <laughs> oh, go on, Fred. Don't be so soppy. I
4: ain't soppy. Come on, Bess. <laughs>
8: <laughs> hello, hello. Who's this coming towards us?
4: Bloomin' prowler. Here, you. Yeah,
8: what you want. Well, can't you say something?
4: Look how Bessie's got a knife. No, you don't. Uh. Inspector Bob, I never got a good look at him. He caught me on the head, and when I come to, there was poor Bessie with a throat cut.
11: Yeah, that's your story, you fellow, my lad. All right, Sergeant. You can book him on suspicion of murder.
8: Sir George, we shouldn't be walking on the heath? Didn't you read about the murder here two days ago? It's
2: a fine thing. I, I take you out
12: in the moonlight, and you talk of murders. Let's talk about our Violet, darling.
8: It seems to me we should talk about your wife.
12: My wife doesn't mean anything to me anymore. Violet, if you could get a divorce, Shh. I'd.
7: There's someone behind that tree. He's coming towards us.
12: Who are you, sir? What do you No, you don't. I...
7: Oh. Don't come near me! Don't!
11: Inspector Lestrade, she's she's dead, poor girl. I know, but. A scandal can't bring her back. If there's any way to keep my name out of the papers, I... Yeah, I'm afraid you'll have to take your chances, Sir George. Oh, and Sergeant...
4: Yes, Inspector.
11: Yeah, you can turn that boy loose, Weave, L, for questioning. The man who did this is obviously the same killer. I'm afraid we're going to hear a lot more from him.
12: Light edition, Evening Piper. Empson Eats murder strikes for fifth time. Nine girls murdered on Empson Eats. Light edition, Evening Piper here.
10: Now,
2: look here, miss. You can't go walking by yourself on the Eats. It ain't safe. Oh,
8: it's thick, you constable, but... But I'm not frightened. I want to be by myself, and...
7: I want to
2: think. Well, I can't stop you by law, I suppose, but you shouldn't do it. Yeah. I don't know how to handle these modern young things, and that's a fact.
12: <laughs> Inspector Lestrade, he must have killed her the moment she got out of my sight. I searched the old Ruddy Eve, but I couldn't find the murderer. But it did startle him. He left his life in the body.
11: Good, Jackson. Uh, the body's uh, not been identified yet, eh? No, Inspector. Uh, we'll print her a photograph in all the papers. We've got to find out who she is. Mr. Bishop, is the this the
12: uh, body of your missing daughter? Yes, it's Rosie, my Rose. Inspector Lestrade, if I ever lay my hands on that murdering fiend, I'll kill him. I'll kill him with my bare hands. Uh,
11: there's the story, Mr. Holmes. Rose Bishop was the tenth and last girl murdered. But she was the first girl murdered when she was alone, Mayor Lestrade. Yes, sir. You found no clues? Well, none that proved anything when we checked on them. Let me ask you a question or two, Lestrade. Well, anything you like, sir. You've taken the obvious precautions, of course. Oh, how do you mean, you sir? You posted a heavy police guard on the heath? Why, oh, yes, sir. We've had a hundred plainclothes men walking there at night ever since the second murder. But he, he seems to slip through our fingers.
5: I suppose you've also posted policemen
11: dressed in women's clothes. Yes, Miss Holmes. And we've hired girls to walk the evening, in couples with our plainclothesmen. But the murderer won't seem to rise to our bait. Uh, he's
5: a cunning brute. Yes, he is, Watson. Obviously a morbid madman obsessed by a hatred of love. He'll be hard to catch. Mr. Hyde, you mentioned clues that amounted to nothing when you checked them. What were these clues?
11: Well, uh, footprints, a couple of cigarette butts dropped at the scene of the crime. Nothing that helped us. The only important clue was the knife we found in the body of Rose Bishop, uh, the uh, last girl murdered. Of course, the experts at the yard examined it. Yes, sir. Didn't tell us a thing, though. Have you had the knife with you? (laughs) Here it is, Mr. Holmes. I knew you wouldn't trust us. (laughs) You'd want to look at it yourself.
5: (laughs) Thank you, Lestrade. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting.
11: What, What is it, Holmes?
5: This knife is a collector's item. It's at least a hundred years old, I should say. May I keep this overnight, Lestrade? I should like to conduct a few experiments of my own. Why, of course you can, sir. Then you are going to take on the case, Holmes? And let us say that I'll take it under advisement. I'll do my best, Lestrade. I'll do my best. Well, thank you, sir. If any further developments occur, communicate <coughs> once, will you? Yes, sir. In the meanwhile, I'll smoke a few pipes on the problem. But I promise nothing, my dear fellow. I promise absolutely nothing.
2: up in the morning, Holmes. You're still peering through your microscope at that knife, the straw. Oh, that's you? true,
5: old chap. That's quite true. I must be a very dull companion. Why don't you go to bed? Oh,
2: because I'm afraid I may miss
5: something. Confound it. Have you discovered anything? Yes, I think so. Oh, what? The handle of this knife is corrugated. On the underside, I observed a slight diffusion in the markings. Under the penetrating eye of the microscope, I found a minute deposit which had caused the diffusion. I have just analyzed that deposit. It's wax, colored wax. Colored wax? Well, what does that signify? Oh, bites itself very little. But when you combine it with a knife that definitely belongs to another century, it does suggest a certain origin. I've got an idea. Perhaps it came from the theatre. An 18th century dagger
2: could belong in a period play. And the colored wax might easily be part of an actor's maker. <laughs>
5: Excellent deduction, Watson. Oh, thanks. <laughs> However, my own theory would be that this dagger came from a waxworks exhibition. Oh, wrong again. Putty is used in theatrical disguises, but I don't recall the use of coloured wax.
2: Whereas it is used in making wax and
5: effigies. And, of course, the dagger would belong as part of the costume. Precisely, my dear fellow. It's a long chance, but uh, I think in the morning we'll make a tour of the various London Waxworks exhibitions. If my deduction is a false one, at least we'll have the pleasure of a busman's holiday. We can visit all our old friends who died on the gallows. <laughs> Any tired, old chap? Uh, I must say I'm a little weary. This is the fourth waxworks exhibition that we've been to. The fourth and the last. If we fail to find any clues here at the Vex Museum, we can return to Big Street.
2: Well, oh, thank heaven. This is our last port of call. I'm so dizzy from looking at waxworks that they begin to look like human beings to me. <laughs> Did you notice that I asked directions from the wax policeman at the entrance door? <laughs> yes.
5: <laughs> well, I'm sure many people have been uh, deceived in the same way. Uh huh. Here we are.
2: Oh, Monsieur Levesque doesn't believe in understatement, does he? Look look at that sign oh, there.
5: Oh, gracious me. The Chamber of Horrors. Come in and see the pageant of murder. All the people <coughs> of history reenacting their famous crimes. Well, <laughs> let's go in, Watson. We should feel thoroughly at home.
2: Creepy in here, isn't it? i've heard that Monsieur levesque will pay a hundred pounds to anyone who will spend all night alone in the chamber of horrors yes i've heard of that challenge too are you thinking of accepting the bet great Scott! i will you. spend a night here for a thousand
5: a very comprehensive collection of killers aren't they Let's see williams wainwrights ah the nationalist de branvilliers
2: by George, yes she was an attractive woman wasn't she As trim a pair of ankles as ever i've seen
5: yes but you wouldn't have liked her cooking watson She used the most lethal condiments of almost any woman in history. Hello. What is it? Look over there. Uh
2: (laughs) I was wondering when we'd come to one of your cases Dr. Grimsby Rilett and the murder at Stoke Moran, or the case of the Speckled Band. By (laughs) Jove, Holmes, the tableau's extraordinarily realistic, isn't it? (laughs) Yes.
5: One of our other old friends of mine are represented here. Rather like your new acquaintance with the Ricoletti of the Clubfoot and his abominable wife. Ricoletti? I don't remember him, Holmes. Oh, one of my earlier cases, old fellow. I must tell you that story sometime. I know you would, Arvolf. Holmes, look that veiled figure over there. Read the placard in front of it. The Hampstead Heath murderer. Well, how very interesting. The face is covered with a black veil. Is this pure showmanship, I wonder, or does Monsieur Levesque know more of Scotland Yard and I...
12: Good day to you, gentlemen. Prescott, you you startled me, sir? Are you admiring my collection of murderers? Monsieur Levesque? Yes, sir. And haven't I the distinction of addressing Mr. Sherlock Holmes? That is my name. And this is my friend, Dr. Watson. How do you do? How do you do, doctor? I am greatly honored to meet you both. What do you think of my chamber of horrors?
5: it's very impressive. We're particularly interested in this veiled figure of the Hampstead Heath
2: murderer. Yes,
12: indeed we are, sir. Is there a face behind beneath that, that veil? <laughs> I'll let you in on a trade secret, gentlemen. There are no recognizable features behind that veil. This is purely for publicity purposes. The public always expects to see the latest horrors here. And I, I thought I'd titillate their morbid talents by, by having a mysterious figure representing the killer. Of course, if he is captured, I shall add his effigy to my collection. You think he will be captured, then? One can only speculate. He's a clever man, Mr. Holmes. And by the way, Mr.
5: Does your offer of a hundred pounds to anyone who will spend a night in the Chamber of Horrors still hold good? Oh, yes.
12: Are you thinking of accepting the bet, Mr. Helms? Uh, no, but Dr. Watson would like to. Well, I, I don't recommend the good. experience, Doctor. It's an ordeal that calls for nerves of steel. However, I shall be glad to arrange for oh, it. I haven't the slightest intention of Are backing thing.
5: down now? Of course you haven't, old fellow. What
12: time shall my friend return, sir? About 11.30 tonight. I'll be waiting for him at the main entrance. Splendid. Come on, Watson. Oh, Holmes, I too. Good day, to... Monsieur Levesque. Good day, gentlemen. I shall be waiting for you tonight, Doctor.
2: Holmes, what the blazes do you think you're doing? I haven't the slightest intention of keeping that appointment tonight.
5: Well, of course you haven't. I shall keep it. Disguised as you. You
2: keep it? For heaven's sake, tell me what you're up to, Holmes. You didn't even mention that missing dagger to Levesque.
5: No, because he knows something about the murderer. I'm convinced of it. Oh, well, why'd you say that? As we were standing there talking to him, a breath of air from the open window blew back a corner of the veil. I'll swear that there are clearly defined features beneath it.
2: And so you're going back there tonight
5: to find out? That's right, old fellow. The superstitious used to believe they could use a waxen image to kill a man. Tonight, Watson, we shall prove that a waxen image can be used to trap
3: a killer. <laughs>
4: Dr. Watson will continue his story in just a second, so I'm just going to remind you that there are lots of ways to make good food taste better. But the easiest way is to serve that food with a good wine, a Petri wine. If you like a white wine with chicken or with fish, you'll love that wonderful Petri California sautern. If you like a red wine, then rich, hearty Petri California Burgundy is your wine. But if you don't know which you prefer, why not try them both? Petri Burgundy and Petri Turn, red and white. Don't buy one, buy two, but always buy Petri. Well, doctor, so Sherlock Holmes decided to discuss himself as you and spend the night in the Chamber of
2: Horrors, yes, huh? Yes, Mr. Bertell.
4: after dinner that night, he began to apply the makeup. It's uncanny
2: to sit there in Baker Street and watch Holmes slowly turning into a very convincing
5: replica of myself.
2: As he did so, we discussed last minute
5: Watson, if I'm not back here by two o'clock, you'd better come after oh, me. Well, should let me come and wait outside, old fellow.
2: Just in case there's any
5: trouble. No, 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 no. You'd attract attention. By the way, um, do you recall the name of the girl murdered on the heath? Yes.
2: Bishop. Uh, Rose Bishop, wasn't exactly.
5: it? Exactly. The only girl who was murdered when she was unescorted. The body was identified by her father. Well,
2: Robert Holmes.
5: Levesque is a French name, and yet the gentleman had a decidedly English accent. I should say that, uh, he adopted a foreign name as being more suited to his profession. I don't see what you're driving
2: at. What's the connection between Levesque, the owner of the waxworks, and the father of Rose Bishop, the murdered
5: girl? Levesque is the French word for bishop. Great Scott! You think that he knows who the murderer is and? Uh... I know only one thing, Watson. <coughs> I see what is beneath that black veil. Yeah. Now, now, how's my disguise? <laughs>
2: Wonderful! You look exactly like me, but. <laughs> How, how do you manage about the voice?
5: Uh, well, I don't think it'll be too difficult, old man. I I can't understand half what you're saying. In your own case, old chap, that's a handicap that I've suffered from for years. Rubbish. I'm perfectly intelligent. Now, let me see. The uh, bullseye lantern, yes. Uh, Watson, I think I'll borrow your revolver, too. I probably won't need it, but uh, for once, I think it might be safer for me to go armed. Here, Holmes, now... Do be careful. I will, old chap. Don't worry. Goodbye. And if I'm not back by two o'clock, you better come to the waxworks and see what's happened to me.
12: Uh, Dr. Watson, you don't mind if I search you?
3: Oh, gracious. No, No, of course not. uh,
12: No no lantern, please. The uh, moonlight will give you all the illumination that you need. Oh. Dear me. A revolver in your pocket. Yeah. I'm afraid I can't allow that. Oh, no. Once before, a young man who unwisely accepted my bet left bullet holes in some of my finest waxworks before he finally went raving mad. Don't be frightened, Dr. Watson. Many of the waxwork murderers here are all friends of yours. Uh, they'll be good company. I shall come and release you at eight in the morning.
2: I've, stage, uh, I've, I
12: I've, uh, I've sealed all the windows with string and wax. I shall seal the door behind me as I leave. Well, that's very unkind of you. Ah, Midnight. Yeah. The is on, doctor, you still wish to go through with well, it? Well, I suppose so. Very well, then. I shall leave you now. Yeah. Uh, good night, Dr. Watson. Good night. Pleasant dream. Pleasant dreams. Pleasant dreams. Pleasant dreams. <laughs>
3: There, little swan out about the shadows. Who's coming to me here with me? Someone at the window. Point Scott, it's Watson.
5: And now before his time. Well, got the seals and the string. On, up with it.
12: Uh, Holmes. Holmes, are you all right? Shh. I'm all right. You came early. But it's just as well carrying a lantern. I took mine with him. Come on in. Uh, oh. Shh. Uh, there we are. Come on, quiet. I'm glad to see you, Watson. But uh, what made you decide to come here so early? After You left the start, came to Baker Street. He told me there was another murder on the Heath. At another seven m- o'clock tonight. Another murder, eh? I started worrying about you, Holmes. Hmm. I had a premonition of impending
5: danger, and I decided to come over here. You're... You're not angry with me? Oh, of course not, my dear fellow. I'm glad of your company, and I appreciate your concern. Have you looked under the veil of the waxwork figure of the Hampstead Heath murderer yet? No, I was just about to. Your lantern will be most useful. Come on, Watson. Oh, what have you been doing? Just to, just doing nothing? Yes, I, I wanted to give Lefay an impression that I was here for the night, and I also wanted to do some serious thinking. I smoked two pipes on the problem, Watson, and I think I know the answer now. I'm willing to swear you'll know the face you see when I lift the veil from the waxen dummy. Hit the figure. Now, put your lantern a little higher, will you, Jim? That's it. I lift the veil, and. Who do we see? Good Lord, it's the waxwork figure of Levesque himself. Precisely, Watson. An unparalleled example of the self-betrayal inherent in criminal egotism. Levesque couldn't resist the. Ju- Holmes!
12: The waxwork is moving! It's got to, It's a lie! Yes, gentlemen. Which is more than either of you will be in a few minutes.
5: You re-entered this room by a secret door, I
12: suppose. Yes, Mr. Holmes. And since you've displayed such a flattering interest in the Hampstead Heath murderer, I decided to remove the wax figure and appear in person. Look out, Holmes. You've got a revolver. Oh, no, 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 Doctor. This isn't a revolver in my pocket. What would the Hampstead Heath murderer want with a revolver? This is a knife. I feel so much more than with a knife. There are two of us. Remember that. And both unarmed. Which one of you meddlers wants to die first? Look out, Holmes. Watch it. Watch it. Both Get the lantern's smashed, yes, and the moon's fading. What a pity. Holmes, what's wrong you? Over here by the effigy of Macbeth. i very thoughtful of you to provide him with a dagger, Levesque. I wouldn't one, my dear Holmes. <laughs> you can't escape me. I can feel my way in the dark here. I know every inch of this room. You're doomed, both of you. Don't strike a match, Holmes. You'll make a target of yourself. The have over that. I'm lighting this newspaper. It'll make an excellent
5: torch to set the light to the nearest waxwork. No, no! Don't burn my waxwork! Wax on a wooden frame should blaze brilliantly. There we are. Oh, oh you devil! You're destroying my life's work! Holmes, that burning wax is pouring all over the floor. The curtains are
3: catching light. The whole place will burn down. Oh, my beautiful museum! Ah, I thought this would smoke you out. Quick watch at him again. What's that knife, Holmes? <laughs>
11: Well, Mr. Holmes, you've done it again. You've solved the case in a blaze of glory. (laughs) Get the point, sir. (laughs) A
5: blaze of glory. Yes, (laughs) Lestrade, I get the point. Thank you very much. Pass that marmalade, will you, Watson?
2: Uh, Holmes,
11: is that the morning paper you brought with you, Lestrade? Yes, Doctor. Uh, Want me to uh, read you the headlines? Yes, yes, please, please do. Uh, Amstead Heath murderer captured in fire that destroys waxwork exhibition. You know, Mr. Holmes, you and the doctor were lucky you weren't burned to death. Never mind the chance you ran of having your throat cut by that maniac. It was fortunate
5: that the police and firemen were on the scene as quickly as they were. Levesque had the strength of ten men.
11: Yes, the strength of a madman. He'll never stand trial, of course. No, doctor. He'll end up in an asylum where he belongs. (laughs) Uh, Mr. Holmes, what made you suspect Levesque? You
5: first gave me the
11: clue yourself, Levesque. You uh, told me that all the murdered girls were accompanied
5: by men when they were attacked. All of them, save one, Rose Bishop. Therefore, if the murderer was venting a hatred of love, he had to, uh, he had to be someone very close to Rose Bishop to know that she was a suitable victim. That point alone, which I was shocking slow in observing, should have told us to focus our attention on the father, Mr. Bishop, alias Lovick. Well,
11: your theory was certainly right, Mr. Holmes. Yes. You should have heard his raving to the arrest. He swore his daughter had been ruined. And so he'd killed her, too.
2: Holmes, the, the waxwork figure of the killer, the one with a veil over its face, the features underneath were those of, the, of Levesque himself, weren't
5: they? I'm certain of it, old fellow. You see, he had two great prides. The first, his natural pride as a fine craftsman in wax. The second, his perverted pride as a prominent and successful murderer. These two prides combined suggested to his crazed mind that he make a wax figure of himself and range it with the other great killers of history.
2: Yes, but he was cunning enough to protect himself by placing a veil over the Precisely, face. Precisely,
5: my dear fellow. And when he saw us yesterday and we accepted the wager, he undoubtedly became suspicious and removed the wax figure last night and made his personal appearance as the murderer with every intention of killing us both. Yes, we were very lucky, old chap. Yeah, if you ask me, Mr.
11: Holmes, you've been very smart.
5: No, I quite agree, Lestard. I think you solved the case brilliantly, no, Holmes. No, 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 I've been very sluggish. I solved by circumstance and melodrama what should have been a purely intellectual problem i'm not pleased with myself strand i hope that my name has not been used in that newspaper report no it hasn't sir. excellent i want no credit in this case
2: what well, do you mean to say that you're going to let
11: scotland yard get the praise for catching him home
5: why
2: not
11: well that's very generous of you mr holmes it will make things a lot easier for me yes,
5: it certainly will holmes uh, i can't see why you reproach yourself because my dear watson like the hamster teeth murderer I, too, have my pride as a craftsman. This case had a clearly defined pattern, and I was unable to recognize it. If you should have occasion to chronicle this story, Watson, and I should prefer that you didn't, I, I would like you to entitle it The Education of an Idiot.
2: Oh, come now, Holmes, The Education of an Idiot? <laughs> That's
5: absurd. I know. <laughs> but uh, if you do tell this story, it'll probably end up as... Uh, The Strange Case of the Murderer in Wax.
4: Well, Doctor, that was sure a swell story. You know, that's the kind of story I like. Lots of action. Well, that's the kind
2: of story I like to tell. You know, Mr. Bartell, although our broadcasts were heard overseas every week through Armed Forces Radio... This is one of the few occasions that I've had the privilege of really telling my story directly to the boys. And it's uh, been a great pleasure for me to be
4: here at, at Camp Roberts. Well, that not only goes for you, but for me too, <coughs> Doctor. And for the Petrie family. There, there are no words to describe how much our country owes our servicemen. And to all of you, the Petrie family wants to say, just as every American wants to say, thanks for a swell job. Well, Doctor Watson, what story are you planning to tell us next week?
2: Next week, well, now, next week, Mr. Bartell, I'm going to tell you one of the strangest adventures that ever happened to Sherlock Holmes. It takes place in a in a monastery high in the mountains of Tibet, and concerns itself with an avalanche, an execution,
12: and a murder. <laughs>